Well, good morning and welcome to Easter with Southwinds. It is so, so very good to see each and every one of you. Some of you for the first time in a long time. We're so glad you're back with us again. I wanna also welcome everyone who's joining us online, whether you're uh, here now via live stream or, or you're watching sometime later this week. Um, we are so glad you're here. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Southwinds and glad, glad uh, to have you with us today. I, I want us to begin uh, today by saying that ancient Easter greeting together, it is Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. And, and as we do that, I want you to imagine people saying this, not only here, uh, but also in like hundreds of homes all across Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop, maybe across our county, maybe across our state, even across our nation, and who knows, maybe even around the world. So here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. You know, we come uh, to Easter 2021 after more than a year uh, of being in, in various kinds of COVID-19 lockdown. I wonder if you know that on that very first Easter Sunday, the very first disciples of Jesus were all gathered in a lockdown too. John 20, 19 tells us that Jesus' followers on that first Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday evening, were gathered in a room together behind locked doors because they were fearing for their lives. If they left their lockdown, if they tried to go anywhere, they were afraid that the people who'd killed Jesus would hunt them down and kill them too. And so they were in lockdown because they thought it was safer. Now today we find ourselves in a place where we're moving towards the, the complete end of lockdown, hopefully soon, we hope, in terms of physical things. But, but many people, and maybe some of us today, maybe we're still kind of stuck in a kind of lockdown spiritually. And I think it's clear that's where Jesus' disciples were that first Easter Sunday. They were locked down, and, and not only because of fear, they were also gripped by, by guilt, gripped by shame, because they had all let Jesus down. They'd all abandoned their Lord and their master. And of course, they felt grief because their dear friend was dead. But in that locked room, that first Easter, something happened. Jesus came, and Jesus, through his coming, unlocked life. I mean, just think about the before and the after. They were in that room, locked down with fear, and their fear turns to faith. They go from guilt to freedom. They go from grief to hope. And then they rocket out of that room and God uses them to change history. So what happened there in that lockdown? I wanna tell you the story verse by verse as it unfolds. We're gonna be in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. And I am praying that as we are in our lockdown, maybe you're there spiritually, that Jesus will come and Jesus will meet you too and you will see him unlock life for you as well, because he truly will meet you, whether it's, it's here right now or in your home, whether you're alone or whether you're with someone, he wants to slip in and by his spirit, he wants to speak peace to you as well, if you're open to him. So 
we're gonna see in this text three resurrection truths for the disciples, truths that unlock life whenever we're locked down. And if you've got uh, the app and your message notes or you're taking some notes, you can write this down uh, now. The first thing we see is because Christ is risen, I can know that my fears aren't in control. My fears aren't in control. I think you would agree with me that this past year has been a year of fear like few that we have ever known. Studies are showing that even right now, more people than ever, some studies say as many as like half of the population is dealing with significant levels of anxiety. Anxiety still about COVID-19, anxiety about the economy. A lot of people right now are having anxieties about uh, how's it gonna be when we return to normal life. And it's normal to feel threatened when we face a year like 2020. But here's the message we need to hear in 2021. Because Jesus has risen, I may face fears, but I do not need to live under the control of my fears. I want you to listen to verse 19. John writes, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now again, picture the scene. The disciples are locked in this room. They're locked down in fear. And Jesus suddenly, startlingly, miraculously appears in the room. And it's almost as if he does this on purpose. It's almost as if he wants to surprise them. And they don't know it yet, but we know it looking back that Jesus now has this glorified body that can do things normal bodies can't. And it's almost like he just shows up and surprises them. Verses uh, 36 and 37 of Luke 24 add some detail. Luke says that when Jesus appeared, the disciples were startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Now, why did they think they were seeing a ghost? And the answer was because none of them expected a resurrection. They were all convinced that Jesus was dead and their hopes were gone and their lives were over. In fact, three times in John 20, if you read through the chapter, Jesus comes and has to tell them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. That word for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And that's such a a beautiful word, isn't it? Uh, it, That word just sounds like peace. In fact, why don't we just say it all together? Shalom. Say it with me. Shalom. Jesus came and Jesus gave them peace. Now, how could Jesus give them peace? And here's the message of the scriptures. Because he was risen, because he had conquered death. You see, the Easter story tells us that the Garden of Eden became a graveyard because of Adam's sin, but the tomb outside of Jerusalem became a garden because of Jesus' resurrection. And the reality is that God raised Jesus from the dead and that means now that death has been defeated. Our greatest enemy has been conquered. Our greatest fear is powerless over us so that we do not need to be controlled by our fears. See, what fears, maybe today, just be honest with yourself, what fears are you allowing to control you? Will you remember today that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. 
Jesus is Lord. You can put your fears where they belong, at the feet of the king who defeated death. Verse 20 says, after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And, and once they, they knew it was Jesus, peace came. Joy overflowed. And, and then Jesus says a second time in verse 21, again Jesus said, peace be with you. So why does he repeat this? Well, he's reassuring them. He's saying to them, I want you to hear this. You can truly be at peace now. Because if worst comes to worst, if the Roman government exerts the most frightening power that they have, which is the power of crucifixion, you, my followers, can know that resurrection awaits. In other words, Jesus' peace is greater than my worst fears. Do you know that? Are you living in that reality? You know, many of you have experienced this, a supernatural peace that you just can't understand. I know that because some of you have told me about it. Maybe you've just received a terminal diagnosis. Maybe someone you love has unexpectedly died. Maybe your job is gone. And it made no sense, but you had peace. And it's the peace of Jesus Maybe you've never had that peace before, but you can. Jesus wants to give it to you, and that peace begins when you receive Jesus' resurrection life, and you receive Jesus' resurrection life by believing the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and that God the Father raised him to life again. And if you believe that and you repent of your sins and you turn your life over, you turn your eternity over in trust to Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved and you can have peace. And that can happen Today, maybe you do know Jesus, but maybe today you're struggling with fear. You know, fear is a, a complex enemy, and I, I would not suggest that it's easy to overcome it. Sometimes it takes a battle. Sometimes it's a fight. It's hard. But I will tell you, I will tell you that Jesus loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be controlled by fear. I will tell you that you can give him your fears and I will encourage you to fight your fears with Easter faith. In John 14, 27, before his crucifixion, Jesus promised this to his disciples. Maybe you know this verse. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And here's the thing, Easter proved that Jesus could make and keep that promise. See, if you wrestle with fear, one of the things I want you to hear today is that Southwinds Church wants to help you. We want to walk with you. We have life groups, as you heard a few moments ago, that meet all over our area at all kinds of times and days where you can find community and you can find people to pray for you. We have care groups that meet at special times during the week where you can find support if you have particularly acute struggles in this area. We want to help you live in peace because Jesus has given us his peace 
You see, fear is a challenge for all of us, but we don't have to be controlled by it. And the reason is Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. My fears are not in control. Second thing I want you to see from this story, because Christ is risen, my failures don't define me. Now, again, I want you to be thinking about this group of guys locked down in this room. The last time they had seen Jesus, they had all abandoned him, their friend, their master, their teacher, while he was being tortured, while he was undergoing this kangaroo court trial. I mean, how guilty, how ashamed do you think they felt? But watch this. The very next thing Jesus says to them is not, what am I gonna do with you guys? The very next thing Jesus says to them is not, what good are you losers? But, and this was the last thing that they had expected. Look at verse 21 again. He says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And if you're reading this story and paying attention, your your mind is gonna hear that and go, what? The risen Jesus appears. He, He blesses them with his peace. And then here's what's happening. He says to them, here's why I'm giving you my peace. You know that mission I used to talk to you about all the time? That mission I said the Father had given me? That's yours now. It's your mission now. In fact, I'll put it this way. All Christ followers are sent. All Christ followers are sent. In fact, I want you to just say it as we begin to own it if we haven't already. Say, I am sent. I am sent. We're all sent. We're all sent. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. And now that we have been found, we are called to seek the lost and see the lost saved. Our failures don't matter if we keep that mission. What matters is that Christ is risen. My failures are not final. Verse 22 says, and with that he breathed on him and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And what's happening here is he's giving them power, the power of God to carry out this mission that he sent them to do. This is, this is like a foretaste of what's gonna come in fullness just a few weeks from now when the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit descends. He's empowering them. He's not just commissioning them. And then in verse 23, it says that he tells them that their mission is to go and preach the forgiveness of sins, to tell others that their failures don't need to be final either. Verse 23 says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now put this all together and just try to imagine the relief that these disciples felt in this moment to begin to understand that Jesus' resurrection life could redeem even their failures. I heard a pastor once describe his very first day playing Little League Baseball. He said all 60 of his relatives showed up to watch him play. He said, I came up to bat three times and I struck out every single time. He said, It became, uh, toward the end of the game, it was the last inning, and there were two outs, and the bases were loaded, and we were down one run. And of course, I was up. He said, I picked up the bat, I was scared, 
I was shaking. I, I didn't even see the first pitch. It was like whoosh. And he said, I heard the thunk as it hit the catcher's mitt. And then I heard the umpire yell, strike one. Second pitch, whoosh, thunk, strike two. One more chance. He said, I, I told myself, I gotta get a hit. I gotta get a hit. And he said, I actually swung during the pitcher's windup. I swung as hard as I could and I missed. I heard the umpire call, strike three, you're out, game over. And there was a huge cheer from one side of the stands and groans from the other. I knew I had failed. I dropped the bat and started the longest walk of my life back to the bench in the dugout. And he said, I sat down and I sobbed for probably 15 minutes. During that time, I heard car tires scrunch on the gravel as everybody pulled out of the parking lot. He said everything then got quiet and, and then I heard a noise from the pitcher's mound. Thunk, thunk, and a voice. Hey kid, get back up. Game's not over yet. He said, I, I looked up and there on the pitcher's mound stood my dad throwing a ball into his glove. I, I looked out at the field and all my relatives were out there. My Aunt Emma in left, my nearly blind Uncle Joe in right, a bunch of toddlers waddling around the infield. He said, I sheepishly picked up the bat, I walked to the plate, and everyone started cheering for me. Dad threw a pitch, and I missed. Dad threw another pitch, and I missed again. About 15 pitches later, Dad threw it right down the middle, and Almost by accident, I knocked it into left field. I ran to first base, never been there before. And I stopped just in time to see Aunt Emma throw the ball into center field. I thought, cool, I'm gonna get a double. I ran to second base just in time to see Todd, a pretty good athlete playing center, throwing the ball into right. And at this point, I knew I'm going to score. My blind knuckle's never gonna find the ball. And I, I rounded third, I sprinted home, I slid across the plate, and then I saw him. About five feet in front of me, my dad down on one knee, tears streaming down his face. And he held out his arms and he said, son, welcome home, you're safe. And I threw myself into his arms as he whispered in my ear, I told you the game wasn't over yet. What a great story, right? Do you see that is exactly what Jesus is doing with his disciples? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's telling him, I know you've benched yourself. I know you've failed, but get up off that bench. The game's not over yet. And no matter how many times you have failed, God is saying to you today, friend, the game's not over. Your failure does not have to be final. Why is that the case? Well, it's true for this wonderful reason. Jesus' forgiveness is greater than all my sin. 
You know, during this past year, Southwinds has delivered food to many people in lockdown. I, I recently heard about something that happened last year at another Bay Area church where they were doing the same thing, serving their community by bringing bags of essentials, especially to elderly people who couldn't get out. And, and in this church, there was a woman who was delivering food to an older man and she put the bags on the porch, she rang the doorbell, she backed away, he opened the door, he looked at the groceries and he began to cry. And he said, I thought God had abandoned me. The woman said, God will never abandon you. And he said, no, you don't understand. God should abandon me. I've done some very bad things. And this woman said to him, welcome to the club. We've all got things in our past we're ashamed of, but, but look, God didn't abandon you. God came looking for you. God found you. And that's what happened to these disciples. They're hiding in fear in a locked room, but Jesus found them and friends. Jesus has found you today to say to you, on Good Friday, I gave my life, I took your sins to the cross, and on Easter Sunday, I stepped out of that tomb to tell you your sins can be forgiven, your failures need not define you. Why? Because the tomb is empty, and the throne is occupied. Christ is risen, and that means you can put your failures where they belong, at the feet of the king who forgives all your sin. Third, because Christ is risen, my future is filled with hope. You know, I don't know your story. Uh, some of you here today I have never met before, but I'm pretty confident there's at least a couple of us here who right now feel like our future's pretty hopeless for one reason or another. And part of what I want you to hear today is the resurrection of Jesus means that your story is not over. In fact, it's just beginning. I'm also aware, maybe this is you, maybe some of you are here today, you find yourself a little skeptical of the Easter story. Maybe you don't think you believe that resurrection is possible. Maybe you don't believe any of this is true. If that's you, I want you to know that the disciples, those first followers of Jesus who first experienced Easter, they were all skeptical of the resurrection at first too. Look at the next couple of verses, verses 24 and 25. This is what John writes. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now we have a name for Thomas, don't we? You know it, right? We know Thomas as Doubting Thomas. Do you know, I think that's kind of unfair to Thomas. You say, why? Well, the truth is none of the other disciples believed either. None of the other disciples showed up at the, the tomb Easter Sunday morning waiting for a resurrection, even though Jesus had told them again and again, I'm gonna die, then I'm gonna rise on the third day. I'm gonna die, then I'm gonna rise on the third day. Not one of the disciples got up Easter Sunday morning and said, hey, we should go to the tomb, couldn't hurt. None of them believed either. And I'm pointing this out 
because there's a lot of people that live today who like to think things and say things like, you know, back then these were primitive people. They were gullible. They believed in stuff that's impossible like the resurrection. They're not like us modern people. We know science. I mean, we have YouTube and Twitter. We're sophisticated. But you need to understand the disciples were not likely to believe in a resurrection. Uh, we're gonna discuss next week, if you come back, you're gonna hear some of the solid historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection. But let me just mention this today. The dominant cultures of that first century world in which they lived, the Greek and the Roman cultures, did not and didn't want to believe in a resurrection. In fact, they didn't want to even think of the body coming back because they thought the body was, was evil and nasty and gross. They wanted to be free of their bodies. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Jewish people, uh, they kind of believed in a final resurrection of everyone, kind of corporately, same time, at the very end of time, but hardly anyone believed in a personal bodily resurrection and none of them, none of them were ready to worship a man as God. See, they, these people were just as skeptical as modern people. That's how all of the disciples responded. See, Thomas, he's just echoing what all the disciples said when they had first heard from the women on Easter Sunday morning that Jesus was alive. They all thought it was nonsense. That's what the Bible says. They all thought that until Jesus appeared to them. Verses 26 and 27 say, a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I wonder if Jesus is saying that to you today. It's time to stop doubting. It's time to believe. Stop doubting and believe. He appears again. He says again to them, peace be with you. And then he singles Thomas out and he says, Thomas, look, look at my real once dead body. Look at my wounds. No one can have these kind of wounds and live, but I'm alive, Thomas. And why is that so important? I wanna leave the story in John 20 for just one verse. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 20. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible about Easter, and this is what Paul writes here. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now notice an interesting word here. It's the word indeed. And we've been saying that word today, right? We, we say it on Easter, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. You ever wonder why we add the word indeed? It sounds very British, doesn't it? Brilliant, quite so old chap, indeed. Kind of weird, who talks like that? But indeed is a very important word here because it's telling us Christ is truly risen. He is risen physically, bodily, in truth, in reality. And this contrasts with what some people who really don't believe what the Bible teaches will say. Maybe you've encountered some of their teaching. They'll say the, the resurrection didn't really happen. What, what's going on here is this is kind of this nice, comforting metaphor 
Resurrection is this wonderful, beautiful idea. It's about life and, and hope and all, this metaphor that can inspire us. But here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that idea is ridiculous. See, if the tomb is not empty, then the throne is unoccupied and Jesus is not Lord. And there's nothing I can really do about my fears. And my failures, they will ultimately be final. And that means my future is hopeless because that tells me life is ultimately meaningless. I just wanna say today, thank God that a metaphor didn't walk out of the tomb, but Jesus did. Jesus is alive. He walked out in a physical glorified body that right now sits reigning, ruling at the right hand of the Father. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, indeed. And when you think about it, that's the only explanation that makes sense of what happens next because something happened to galvanize that little group of fearful disciples in that locked room. They were not transformed by the idea that Christ is risen metaphorically. No, they were changed. Their fear turned to faith because they believe Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will one day also be raised. And so therefore, these disciples, they had no fear of death anymore. Their attitude became something like this. Romans, you can do your worst. We know what happens after death. And you know, also before death, if, if God raised Jesus from the dead, they came to understand as we can that anything is possible for us in this life because he is God. And Thomas gets this. Look at verse 28. It says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And in that moment, somehow, miraculously, Thomas goes from doubt to maybe getting the implications of this better than any of the disciples so far because Thomas suddenly realizes that the resurrection actually validates Jesus' most outrageous claim, and that claim was that he was God himself, God in the flesh, God incarnate. Thomas gives us maybe the greatest confession in the New Testament when he says, my Lord and my God. And this is the confession, I hope you see it. It's the confession that leads to life, eternal life. But it's also a confession that you and I should be making every single day of our lives. My Lord, my God. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, it, it means that you now have the greatest creative power in the universe who came down to earth to be with us, who went through death and then came back again and he is with you and he calls you friend. That's what it means. And this is powerful. I'm gonna tell you a story. It's about a guy named Danny and, and Danny went spelunking one time. If you don't know about spelunking, that just means exploring caves. Danny went spelunking with a friend of his who had been to this particular cave before, and at one point, his friend says, Danny, I had discovered this really cool, huge cavern. It's beautiful, but it's a little tough to get to. Would you like to go to it? And Danny says, yeah. 
And so they go further into the cave, into this tunnel, and as they travel into this tunnel, the tunnel starts getting smaller and smaller, more and more constricted. At one point, it's gotten so small they have to duck down to walk. But the passageway keeps getting narrower, keeps getting lower. Eventually, they have to get on their hands and their knees to crawl through the tunnel, but it keeps getting lower and and more narrow until they have to get on their backs and they're pushing with their feet to move through the tunnel. Eventually, the tunnel gets so narrow that they are just pushing with their, their heels and then it gets narrower even still to the point where they, when they breathe in, they get stuck. And so to move forward, Danny has to exhale, scoot forward with his heels and then inhale and now he's stuck again and it's only when he exhales that he can scoot forward once again and some of you are freaking out right now, right? Now you need to know Danny was actually like a skydiving, mountain climbing, adventure junkie, thrill seeker kind of a guy. But he said in that moment, in that cave, he began to feel panic. He said he tried to fight it, but all he could soon think of was his dead body rotting, stuck on his back in that stupid cave. And he he told his friend he was about to lose it. And his friend said, Danny, right now you need to close your eyes and listen to my voice. I will guide you through this. We will be okay. He said, I have been here before and I will get you to the other side, but you must listen to my voice. If you listen to the voices in your head and you let your mind run wild, you will never make it. But Danny, you can trust me. This leads somewhere amazing. Just keep listening every moment to my voice. Danny died in that cave. Not really, I just made that up. (laughs) Gotcha, didn't I? No, Danny trusted his friend, and Danny made it through. And Danny said, it was glorious. He was able to keep going because he knew someone who had been through this before, someone who was assuring him there is glory ahead. Do you understand that that voice for Thomas and that voice for you and for me is now the risen Jesus? And he is saying, keep going. I'm with you. You can make it. And he is going to lead us one day to heaven, one day to glory. But that's not all. He is also leading us right now today in this broken world to new life, new life that is right now, a life of peace, a life of assurance, a life of hope. Why? Because the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied Christ is risen, and that means that life today, now in this broken, fallen world, it still has meaning and purpose. My fears don't have to control me. Even my worst failures are never final because God can redeem them. My future is filled with hope. 
And what I'm really saying is it, it really makes a real difference in real people's lives to listen to his voice when we go through dark and narrow times. Maybe you're saying, Mike, that sounds great. I, I'd love to hear his voice, but how, how do I hear his voice? And my answer is very simple. The primary way you hear his voice is through his word, which is called the Bible. And that's why if you've been here very long at Southwinds, you, you hear me encouraging you over and over again to read the Bible. The Bible teaches us truth. It teaches us how to see the world as God sees it. The Bible shows us how to face our fears, how, how to move past our failures. When we're hopeless, the Bible puts hope back into us by pointing us to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're, you're thinking, I don't really know how to read the Bible. Maybe you have questions. Well, please let me know. Talk to me maybe after the service. Send me an email. We have other pastors too who would love to help you. We have people in our Southwinds family who would love to come alongside you and help you understand God's word. Some of you may be saying, you know, I believe this. I'll stake my life on this. And I would like to tell others the good news of Jesus. Two weeks from today, we're, we're gonna begin a new series that will help all of us explain more clearly to other people how they can know Christ and follow Christ. And we're gonna be learning for ourselves some essential beliefs in that series. And the series is gonna be called Jesus Loves Me. It's actually based on a book which is based, outlined according to the, the, the lyrics of that very familiar song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And in this series, we're gonna learn who Jesus is. We're gonna learn what Jesus has done. We're gonna learn why God's word is true and what that means for our lives. We're gonna be studying that on Sundays. We're gonna be studying in our life groups. And I just wanna tell you, I can't wait to do this with you. I wanna wrap this up today. Do you know that you're in the Bible Look at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, I'm holding out to you, if you've never experienced it today, the possibility of blessing. But you only find that blessing when you believe. Can you believe? Yes. You can. You believe when you repent of your sins and you place your trust in Jesus, Jesus who loved you so much he died on the cross for you. When you believe in Jesus who God the Father raised from the dead and when you come to that place and you believe that it will change your life forever. You can believe. So I wanna urge you today to make that confession that Thomas made. If you've never made it before, I wanna encourage you, make it for the first time. Say to Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my God. And if Jesus has saved you, if he's redeemed you from your past failures, given you hope when you thought there was no hope, then say it again, say it again, my Lord and my God. I'm gonna choose to believe you, Jesus, I'm gonna to choose to believe that you are who you say you are. And I believe that because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, when we come to the place where we can make this confession that Jesus is Lord and God, that affirmation is what unlocks life. No matter, no matter your life circumstance. 
See, when I choose to believe that Christ is risen and risen indeed, it changes everything. So let's conclude our time together studying God's word by making that affirmation again. It's gonna be on the screen. Would you say it with me? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray?